You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. The one to whom they had given their son, that is God, was perfecting his work in Samuel's heart. You see, in God's preparation of Samuel for his life's work, we see how God sovereignly, in a hostile, ungodly environment, molds us, shapes us in trials, strengthens us as a result of the sufferings that we are forced to endure. You know, sometimes we have to experience the worst to produce the best. As Pastor Mike will explain in today's message, the spiritual and cultural environment that Samuel grew up and was trained for the priesthood in was not ideal. Instead of growing bitter or resentful, he had an open and malleable heart that he dedicated to God. Most of us can apply his example directly to our lives. You may be facing what you feel like are much less than ideal circumstances, but don't blame them or use them as excuses. Look at them as an opportunity to lean in and trust fully in God. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 2 as he begins his message, False Shepherds. First Samuel uh, chapter 2 and verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt, and they did not know the Lord. Father, we pray now that for the remainder of our service, Lord, that you would minister to your people. Father, I pray that your word would just uh, impact all of us, encourage us, strengthen us, challenge us in our walk and our relationship with you. Move us closer to you. Father, help us to learn all of the lessons that are contained within this chapter. God, uh, we appeal to the great teacher who is the Holy Spirit to that end. Bless now. God, let my words be your words, for we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. While Samuel was still a youngster, and this brings us to our first point, and that is a scandal rocked the community of Shiloh. And remember Shiloh, we talked about this in our previous uh, studies was where the tabernacle of God was located. That was Israel's meeting place with God. Now, what was the scandal all about? Well, the scandal had to do with Eli's two sons who were priests. They were worthless men who had no regard for the Lord and his people. You see, their concern was for themselves and how they might exploit their position for gain. And once again, I would remind you that the priests were in charge of the arrangements of the offerings and various sacrifices that were dedicated to the Lord. 
Now let's go back to verse 12, and I want you to notice the indictment that was brought against these two sons of Eli. We are told that they did not know the Lord. Can you imagine that? This was their chief sin, and thus they handled holy things with unholy hands. They were serving in the tabernacle, and we are told they did not know the Lord. Now, this should serve up a warning to all of us. I mean, think about it. In the days in which we live, the contemporary equivalent of this would be uh, in the era of mega churches, radio and TV ministries, and the demand of money to keep them going, there is always the threat of losing sight of what is really important. And what is really important? Well, true worship and true spirituality. Now listen, I'm not suggesting that all mega churches and all radio and TV ministries are, are bad, but this can be the, the case. I mean, you have to raise the money, maintain your popularity, you have to draw large crowds in, and it's easy to give attention to externals and aesthetics, to develop a following that likes to be entertained rather than to be taught and edified and reminded of God's demand for holiness. And this is so very, very important. You know, uh, in the uh, meeting on Friday for the Men's Fellowship, the UFC meeting, we talked a lot about holiness. And this should be a priority within the church. I think that this is God's number one concern for his people. Remember, God is a holy God, and he demands holiness of his uh, people. But again, there are some of these mega churches and these radio broadcasts and TV programs and stuff that don't mention those things at all. And, uh, and it's really all about entertaining the people and, and drawing the crowds in and, and raising the funds to keep their ministries going. So we can lose the true worship in spirit and in truth. Our growth in grace and knowledge can be hindered. And that's what I mean when I said they did not know the Lord. That is, these priests did not know what God wanted from his uh, people. Well, anyway, that's what happened here during the era of Eli and his sons, who didn't know, who weren't concerned about true ministry. Now, that brings us to our second point, and that is greedy, dishonest, and profane. Let's go ahead then in our text here in chapter 2 and read verses 13 through 17. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Now, this was not the prescribed way that had been set up originally. Some 400 years have already expired since God had given the instructions by which they were to offer these various sacrifices. But all of that had changed. Remember, we've talked about this in one of our previous uh, services. Uh, during this time in the period known as uh, Judges, the priesthood had become corrupted. Uh, so this was now the way that they were offering their sacrifices unto the Lord in an unprescribed way. Verse 14, Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle, or cauldron, that is the sacrifice, or pot, and the priest would take for himself. Notice that. He would take for himself, rather than offering the first fruits, 
the choicest of the offerings unto uh, God, which was rightfully his. All that the flesh hook, and the flesh hook was sort of like a, a utensil equivalent to a large fork. So they would take the flesh hook and brought up the meat so that they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burnt the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but uh, raw. And, uh, and if the man said to him, they should really burn the fat first, according to the prescribed methods by which God had inaugurated the way that they were to offer the sacrifices. So notice there, uh, they were aware of the fact of the way that they should have been offering these sacrifices. Then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would give them, answer him, no, but you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. So notice, under the threat of violence. So therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. So can you imagine that? You know, here were these people who heart, whose hearts were right, coming up to Shiloh once a year to offer these various uh, sacrifices un, un, unto the Lord, and the way that the priests at this time were treating those people uh, caused uh, within them, they detested what was going on. And they didn't even want to offer, they didn't even want to come up to Shiloh. In the, in the prescribed ways that God had uh, told them uh, to do that because of the way that the priests were uh, treating them. And so the first offense concerning Eli's sons was that they were actually stealing what was offered unto God. Now let's talk some more about the way that they were to offer up these sacrifices. According to the original law of Moses, which again had been established 400 years before the time in which we are reading about a part of the sacrificial offering was yes to be given to the priests. It was a part of their salary, uh, the remuneration or compensation. And then the remainder of the animal was to be returned to the offerer to be consumed by him and his family. The portion of the peace offering for priests was strictly defined. And if you're interested in this uh, further, uh, you can read about the prescribed method originally uh, that was uh, demanded by God in the book of Leviticus in chapter 7 in verses 29 through 34. So we're gonna, I'll go through that in just a moment. But first of all, God was to be taken care of. He was to receive the first of the portion. You see, it was the uh, breast or brisket and the right shoulder that was to be offered unto the Lord first. And these were solemnly dedicated to the Lord by the offerer. So that was, would take place uh, first. The breast being waved, it was referred to as the wave offering. Have you heard that term used before? You've probably seen it uh, as you've uh, read some of the Old Testament scriptures. It was a wave offering. Uh, what was involved with this is that the portion that was to be offered unto God was moved from side to side in the presence of the Lord, the shoulder being heaved, that would uh, refer to the heave offering, was lifted up once before the Lord and then given back to the priests. Earlier in this process, the blood, which was symbolic of life, 
would have been poured on the north side of the altar, and the fat, symbolic of a perfect and well-nourished body, would have been burned on the altar. And you can read some more about this in the way that they were, uh, the prescribed way that they were to offer these sacrifices in the book of Leviticus in chapter 3. And that was typifying the dedication of the whole sacrifice to the Lord. And no portion could be appropriated until these rites had been performed. But you see, the sons of Eli deliberately violated the prescribed law. They claimed more than their share. They demanded, notice according to our text, raw meat for roasting. And they sent their servants with the flesh hook, as we've just read, uh, the three-pronged fork, uh, and, they were, and if anyone objected, they would take it by force. Now, why would these priests demand raw meat? Well, obviously, so that they could take it from, and this was, first of all, supposed to be, remember, it was supposed to be offered unto the Lord first. Uh, they would take the, the raw meat for themselves so that they, that they could uh, take it back home with them and cook it any way that they chose uh, to cook it. But again, that was against God's prescribed method. Or also, they could take the raw meat uh, before they went through the, the prescribed ways of offering it unto the Lord, and they could take it back to the marketplace and sell it. And after selling it, the money that they had received in selling it, they could put it in their pockets. So do you see what's going on here? True, you know, truly, they, they, they just completely altered uh, the methods by which the sacrifices were to be offered unto the Lord. It mattered nothing to these guys what regulations God had put into place. They sought only to please themselves. They robbed God of his honor and those who came to worship the benefits of their obedience. They threw off all moral restraints. So truly, Eli's sons, who were supposed to represent the best of Israel as priests, they were greedy, they were dishonest, and they were profane. And now that brings us to our third point. And now we have this striking contrast between Eli's sons and Hannah's son, Samuel. Let's go on in our text now and read verses 18 and 19. But notice we are told, in contrast to Eli's sons, but Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Okay, so here we have these pictures. In contrast, it's as if God puts them side by side for our careful examination. What are we talking about? The sons of Eli and the son of Hannah, Samuel. Eli's sons are callous and indifferent, while Samuel is depicted as bright and serene and growing spiritually. Samuel was just simply content to serve the Lord in the temple. He wore, notice as we are told, the ephod over his full-length seamless and sleeveless coat, which by the way indicated he was a priest in training. Though separated from his parents, Hannah and Elkanah, he knew that he was loved by them. He was the object of his mother's love. 
Notice the coats that he wore, according to verse 19, was made of materials that Hannah had prepared. They were made by her, and thus her thoughts were continually upon her son, whom she loved. And so anyway, at the annual festivals, remember each year they were required by law to come up to Shiloh and offer these sacrifices. Hannah and Elkanah went up as well, and they spent time together with their son Samuel, renewing those strong early ties that prepared Samuel for his ministry. Remember now, we're talking about a picture in contrast between uh, Eli's sons and Samuel. But you know what? I bet you mom and dad were genuinely concerned about the effect Eli's evil sons might have upon their son Samuel. I mean, think about it. They're living in the same environment. But although it seemed to be used of God in Samuel to forge a steadfastness of purpose, forbearance, courage, and unselfishness in Samuel. You see, the one to whom they had given their son, that is God, was perfecting his work in Samuel's heart. You see, in God's preparation of Samuel for his life's work, we see how God sovereignly, in a hostile, ungodly environment, molds us, shapes us in trials strengthens us as a result of the sufferings that we are forced to endure. You know, sometimes we have to experience the worst to produce the best. And so what do we take away from this? Well, listen, it doesn't matter what's going on. Like, for example, in our world today, in our life's experience, Christians can thrive under the worst kinds of conditions. So there's no excuses that we can offer whereby, you know, well, Everyone else is doing it, and it really doesn't matter. And the majority of the people subscribe to you know, uh, a certain attitude or philosophy. Listen, those excuses uh, aren't legitimate. We can still thrive in those kinds of environments. And we know later that Samuel became a wise administrator, a righteous judge, blameless, and full of integrity, and he was morally uh, pure. Now, to change gears on you just for a moment, before we get back to this contrast, on one of their visits, that is Hannah and Elkanah, Samuel's parents, they spent a few minutes with Eli, the high priest. And notice, as they departed, let's go back to our text now in verses 20 and 21, and Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, Hannah, and say, the Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord, a reference to uh, Samuel. Then they would go to their own home after they offered their sacrifices back home. And the Lord visited Hannah over the years so that, notice, she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. And so the godliness of Elkanah and Hannah was rewarded greatly by the Lord. I mean, think about it. When we were first introduced to her, she was recommended to us as someone who was barren. And so because of her faithfulness to God and the commitment of her child unto the Lord, she went from barrenness to fruitfulness. And then we are also told that Samuel continued to grow in the Lord 
in stark contrast to Eli's son, who knew not the Lord. Okay, let's continue. Verses 22 through 26. Now, Eli was very old, the high priest, the father of these two boys. And he heard everything his sons did to all Israel, how that he was robbing God. But not only that, and how, notice, and this was their second uh, sin, and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now, we've been also, in one of our previous studies, we were already introduced to these women. Remember uh, Anna as a cross-reference for this in the, in the Gospel according to Luke. Remember when Joseph and Mary brought their uh, infant son, Jesus, to be dedicated unto the Lord. Remember one of the women that was serving there in the temple at that particular time. Remember she rejoiced in, 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 being, in seeing the Savior and, and she knew that that was the fulfillment of, of the scriptures. And so there was this entire, there was this whole group of women, first of all in the tabernacle who served the Lord, and then later on in the city of Jerusalem where the temple had been uh, then uh, built, and they served the Lord day and night. Basically, uh, these women had dedicated themselves to prayer. So they were prayer warriors, but they had other uh, ministries that uh, they were engaged and involved in in their service to the Lord. They were completely dedicated and committed to serving in the Lord. But notice, according to this text of Scripture, they were seduced by Eli's sons, whereby they had intercourse with them. And so the reference there in verse 22. And so anyway, Eli said to his sons, why do you do, verse 23, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all of the people. So obviously, certain people were complaining, were objecting to their actions. No, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man's sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? I'll explain all of this to you in, in just a moment. Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor, both with the Lord and with man. Okay, so years have now passed. We are not sure exactly how many. Eli, the high priest, is probably in his 80s. The conduct of his sons has polluted the sanctuary. Notice there, in the very entrance to the temple or the tabernacle itself, it had been desecrated with exhibitions of unbridled lust and sensuality, according to verse 22. Eli's sons is having sexual relationships with the serving women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Father's house, there's a place for me in my Father's house, where I long to be. That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. Did you know that you could listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House and be sure to subscribe. And let us know you're a listener in the comments. We'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship, too. 
You can find all the information you need at harvestnyc.org. While you're there, you can reserve your seat by clicking on Contact and then the Register link. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. Thanks again for joining us today, and we look forward to our continuing study of 1 Samuel next time here on In My Father's House. There's a place for me.